No one is more rigid than Francis. Must laws be based on reason, or can they stem from whim, sheer will, or raw power? How long before roots can be called traditions? The answer to that affects U.S. constitutional law and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Does it seem like in both Rome and D.C. the lunatics are running the asylum? Brian McCall and Christopher Farrar discuss all this and more in the 19th episode of their series, Church and State. Welcome to another edition of Church and State with Chris Farrar and Brian McCall. It's been a couple of weeks since our last one. Uh, that's because, Chris, you were over speaking at the Roman Forum in Italy. How did that go? Yeah, I was uh, spending two weeks in uh, paradise on Earth. <laughs> Closest thing to heaven we can get on this planet with all of our uh, fallen nature defects. But uh, yeah, great. I enjoyed it immensely and I gave a talk and uh, there were some other very interesting talks too. A lot of it centered on the uh, COVID regimes yeah. as, an, as evidence of our continued precipitous civilizational decline into the abyss. Yes. So, <laughs> great event. And I, I would say to anybody, Look for next year's event. Make sure you get to it because once you go, you'll never stop going. Yes. I think you're, you're Brian, when are you coming back? I, hopefully next year. Hopefully next year. Well, I, you I, don't yeah. say hopefully. You got to plan for that so that it's the, <laughs> it's the exclusive event on your calendar. Yes. You well, and you're other people that you're not available. That's right. Well, I couldn't say that to my son. He was getting ordained. That was kind of, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good excuse. Good excuse. But no, your conference, I believe, is available on the Remnants newspapers website. Is that where you can watch it? Uh, unfortunately, what happened was we uh, had a little technical issue, so I had to record it myself, and I forgot uh, to push the red button. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you can, in that case, you can read, I think, a transcript or, or an article based on it in uh, Catholic Family News uh, coming up this month in August. I think you got yeah, a pretty polished paper, and you got a piece of yes. it for a case. Yes. Like so, well, you can at least see it there. Next time, push the button. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have an interesting show today. Uh, while you were off in paradise on earth in Italy, the House of Representatives passed a law known ironically as the Respect for Marriage Act. And, you know, when I teach my students uh, laws, I say, usually read the title of an act of Congress and assume that the law does the opposite of what it says. Like the Consumer Protection and Bankruptcy Reform Act of 2005 really protects credit card companies and not consumers. So this one, rather than embodying respect for marriage, actually tries to embody disrespect for the true nature of marriage. It repeals the Defense of Marriage Act, which was a law that's still on the books, saying that all states and federal government, the federal government must respect only marriage as between one man and one woman. Uh, that act is not enforceable after the Supreme Court's Bizarre decision in Obergefell recognizing a, quote, constitutional right to same-sex marriage. So this repeals that act and attempts to put at least some part of that abhorrent Supreme Court decision into federal law that states, if states allow this and other states are allowed to not recognize, quote, unquote, same-sex marriage, uh, they'll all have to honor it. So what's going on here? Why is the Congress rushing to repeal a federal statute that hasn't been able to be enforced for five years. Well, because you're dealing with fanatics. These people are, <laughs> these people are literally insane. They've been driven insane by 
the loss of clarity of thought that comes with the institutions of sin that we see in this country. Reason is darkened and you act like a lunatic and the lunatics are now running the asylum. They have control of Congress. They have control of the Senate. And that doddering old fool in the White House uh, is the cipher that they employ to control the executive branch as well. So they're making the most of their momentary control of all three levers of power at the federal level. And they, want, they want to ram through anything they can. And this is one of the things they want to do just because they can. Mm. Just because they can. And, and more than that, I think also they are definitely worried. I mean, I think they see the potential of Dobbs, you know, which overturned Roe v. Wade being a thread that if you pull hard enough on it, will reach its logical conclusions sketched out by Justice Thomas, that if this whole substantive due process jurisprudence is the root problem with Roe and not Roe being an aberration, then this, quote, same-sex marriage case is part of that thread and should pull along with it. Let's explain a little bit what is meant by this amorphous phrase, substantive due process. So we have in the Constitution enumerated rights, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, the right to life and liberty protected by the Fifth Amendment. Those are enumerated rights. Uh, but not enumerated is what comes within this phrase of mm-hmm. liberty. So the substantive due process doctrine was devised to bring into the notion of due process, which is supposed to be just procedure. You get a fair trial, that's your procedure. No, they've incorporated into it a substantive element of certain liberties. So the test that the court has devised for this substantive due process of incorporating unenumerated rights into the Constitution is that the right in question is rooted in America's tradition and history, not a right that you invent on the spot. Mm. Okay? So a substantive due process can cabined by that idea that we've always thought this way, we've always considered this a right. For example, the right to raise your children, the right to marry, a heterosexual normal marriage, those things are deeply rooted in American history. But now, substantive due process is becoming what Patrick Brennan, the villain of a law school, has called great big liberty. Whatever you want as a right can be called substantive due process. And the frightening thing about the Obergefell case is that it was a five to four decision against us. Mm. And this teeter-totter Supreme Court we have in the culture wars is going to go one way or the other based on a five to four vote. Mm. So, uh, as uh, Ted Cruz has said, our fundamental liberties depend upon a single vote at this point. Right. God help us if one of the conservative justices should die, and they're all getting up there in years, and I'm sure they they all have the usual health problems that come with age. One of them dies, and we get a liberal replacement. We are basically, as the accounts say, freaky or fried. <laughs> 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 Well, and as you're saying with this big liberty, what it's turned into, another aspect that is just even definition, simple words, they believe that they can just with a wave of a pen change their meaning. So abortion, which the common law, as the Dobbs majority opinion, the court's opinion shows, was equivalent to murder, to uh, you know a crime for all of human history. It's turned into health care. So you just change the, you know, change the meaning of abortion from murder oh, no, to health care. no, abortion care. 
abortion care. But now the same thing with marriage. As you said, one of these fundamental historical rights has been the right to get to marry, that the government can't force you to marry someone else or stop you, again, from marrying within the definition of marriage, a man and a woman. But now we can just change the word marriage to mean anything we want and say, well, now you have to have equality. Everybody, again, this whole idea of, quote, marriage equality, a misnomer, there is equality. Any man can marry any woman within bonds of consanguinity in the country. There is equal access to marriage for all if you want to get married. If you want to do something that is not marriage, well, that's not marriage equality. And it, that's really at the root of this that just sort of even if we put aside political opinions, just basic objective meanings of words are now up to, you know, a 5-4 vote to determine what they mean. Well, here's the problem, though. If substantive due process includes those rights and liberties that are rooted in American tradition. Here's the question. How long does it take for the roots to develop? <laughs> so what these proponents are saying is, hey, well, we've had 50 years of gay marriage in different states, so we think the roots have been sunk in the American tradition. So where do you draw the line on the deep roots? Mm. So that whole problem of a right that is deeply rooted in tradition is essentially a historicist, standard, mm. which looks to history, not the moral order. And this is what Hadley Arcs was talking about in his Beyond the Constitution. He mm. said, essentially, look, these are morally freighted questions of right and wrong. And the liberals are saying, this has to be a right because it's the right thing to do. It's morally correct. And what do the conservatives say? Mm, we have to look to see what is deeply rooted in our tradition. We're not saying it's right or wrong. We're not saying it's moral or immoral. We just want to see, historically speaking, whether it has roots in tradition. Well, what does that mean? And how long does it take for the roots to develop? So this is the battle we're going to have. The liberals are saying, okay, you want to talk about roots? We have roots. We have 50-year-old roots. Right. Well, again, that's what they've said about Roe v. Wade. Overturn this long-standing historical tradition of, you know, abortion, a constitutional right, and that's just 50 years. Remember that thought. We'll come back to that in our second story. But the other interesting part about this legislation is in a very embittered Congress, a Congress which is almost nothing Republicans and Democrats can agree about, 47 Republicans voted in favor of this. Now, they'll only need 10 Republicans in the Senate to actually pass it as a law, three of which I believe have already come out. It hasn't been voted on yet, but have come out in favor of it in the Senate. So what yeah. does this tell us about the reliability of some Republicans in the Republican Party? It tells us it's the end of our civilization. If it tells us, <laughs> because even the, even the Republicans are useless. They've yeah. given ground on every major issue, if only rhetorically. But once you mm -hmm. give ground rhetorically, you've lost because mm -hmm. they have control of the language. So now you see people uh, like the Fox News commentators. They just blithely accept that there's a transgender community. No mm. problem with gay marriage. And you're a gay guy. You're a gay person. There's a gay community. It's all perfectly hunky-dory. So mm. endemic sexual perversion and the horrific castration of children to try to change their sex against the divine order, all of this is just blithely accepted. And the only thing the conservatives will say is don't force it on us. So now this is just a question of equality. We don't agree that you want to do this to yourself, that you want to be a transgender person, or that you want to marry someone of your same sex. We don't agree with that. But after all, that's what you think. So since we believe in equality for everyone, well, we can't really say, no, you don't have the right to marry as you understand marriage to be. So mm. this is how you end a civilization. You don't take any moral stands. 
you just go along with whatever the majority agrees constitutes liberty at any given moment in history. That's what that's the problem. Well, the old problem problem of abandoning the moral influence of the Holy Catholic Church for the body politic. It began and began there, and that's where it's going to end. Absolutely. And again, another example of just they, they just they tie themselves up in knots because they're so inconsistent. I saw the other day that Wicked Witch of the West, uh, Kamala Harris, was giving a speech to some disability advocates, I believe, some of whom were, were blind. So she introduced herself and said, my name is Kamala Harris. I'm a woman seated at the end of the table. <laughs> I stopped and said, wait a minute. I thought you didn't know what a woman is. How do you know you're a woman? You don't even know what a woman is. She defended that. You know, pathetic excuse for a Supreme Court justice, uh, Justice Jackson, for not knowing what a woman is. But see here, in one context, I don't know what a woman is, but in another, you know, I can just declare myself a woman. So it's that's how. You know, that, that sounds like that sounds like hypocrisy and self-contradiction. But there's an internal logic at work here. <laughs> yes. So the way it works is this: I know what a woman is when I want to know what a woman is. But when it serves my purposes, I don't know what a woman is because I want to attack the category of womanhood. Yeah. So they want it both ways for the simple reason is that they, they don't want, in the end, any such categories to exist, neither man nor woman, because yes. that's the divinely created order. So basically, yes. these are just these are just uh, ciphers, empty terms yes. for whatever content they want to give them. And that's the logic of it all. Well, I, I feel at this moment that I know what a woman is. That doesn't mean that there is actually such a thing as a woman. I just think that I am a woman. And when you yes. ask them why they think they're women, they won't tell you. Because, mm-hmm. again, the mischief at work here is really to deny that there is anything other than a verbal construction in existence. And yes. it's, it's just an empty... It's a noise that people make. When they say woman, they're making a noise. When they say man, they're making a noise. And that's all there is to it. And that's the way they want it. They don't want a created order in which one thing is forever distinct from another thing. That's what this has always been about, the denial of the divinely created order. Yes. Well, I guess to transition in terms of divinely created order to our second story, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about one year. It's been one year now since Pope Francis published Traditionis Custodis, the prison guards of tradition. And uh, in this one year month anniversary, we have seen a couple of stories emerge that really show us where and confirm for those of you who saw it last year, where this document and this a new persecution is heading. It is what Pope Francis has openly declared in his letter to the bishops he wants. He wants to take the immemorial deeply rooted in tradition of the last 50 years, Novus Ordo Mass that is different every time you see it. You've seen one Novus Ordo Mass, you've seen one Novus Ordo Mass, and basically preserve that wonderful tradition against the 2,000-year tradition that came before it that goes back to apostolic times. So we've seen a couple of interesting stories. In Georgia, Bishop of Savannah, again, from all I can tell, seems like a very well-intentioned person. When this came out last year, he issued a very pastoral letter saying he'd visited a lot of these communities that had the traditional Latin Mass, really admired their faith, their devotion. They seemed very devout, said they're doing wonderful and everything can stay the way it is. But then he got cold feet and he wrote to the Politburo in the Vatican, said, "Uh, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? What do you advise? And he got back a letter telling him, shut it down. Tell them all that May 2023, it's over. There's no more allowed in your diocese. And so what did he do? 
Instead of saying, well, that doesn't make sense. Oh, sorry. Must obey. Nothing I can do. It's sorry, guys. I love it, but it's all shut down May 2023. Yeah. And, I mean, and this, this from the Pope who speaks of the synodal church and decentralizing <laughs> authority. It's like you say with, with congressional legislation. When he speaks of decentralization, you mean centralization. When yes. he says we have to have a synodal church, he means we, we have to have a church in which my will prevails yes. under the guise of a synod. It's Orwellian doublespeak. Yeah, I mean, Orwell wrote as a satirist, but actually he was a prophet. Yes. Well, and same thing. Francis said the purpose of traditional custodis was to give complete power to the bishop to decide what to do. Oh, yes. yes. Unless you don't do what Francis wants, and then he orders you to shut it down. You have complete power to execute my commands. Exactly. Yes. Complete freedom to exercise my commands. Well, this is frightening because it seems to to be the prelude to a plan diocese by diocese to extirpate the received and approved rite of mass in the Western church from the life of the church. An absolutely mind-boggling attempt to destroy a key element of tradition that is incommutable, meaning you can't cut it off. When you commute somebody's jail sentence, you're cutting it off. You're ending it. You can't. This tradition is incommutable. It can't be ended. Even if you can regulate it to some extent, and I would dispute even that, uh, you can't just cut it off, amputate it like a gangrenous limb, which is what he thinks he can do. Yes. He, he is the equivalent in our church of the lunatics running the asylum in the political realm. Hmm. He's out of his mind. Well, and part of the problem is what's supporting him out of his mind are the mentality of, oh, well, it's like you're saying with the Republicans. Well, transgender, that's the thing now. I guess I have to go along with it. I don't like it, but it's oh, the he thing. loves transgenders. This well, but it's the same problem with those Republicans as with Bishop. So if we look at Wilton Gregory in Washington, D.C., he issued another similar letter cracking down this month. And in the beginning, again, he writes and he says, wow, there's been lots of traditional masses all over Washington, D.C. for years, going back to 1984, then 1988, then under Bennett. He uses whole history, he says, and I visited them and they're wonderful, but we now have Pope Francis, different regime. It's all gone, essentially. Yeah. So it, I can recognize reality, but now because this pure exercise of will, not in accordance with law, says that reality is no longer. I just have to blow it up. Sorry. So he takes all those traditional masks that were throughout Washington, D.C. Old St. Mary's, I have a good friend that uh, went there for years, said it was a dying church in the 1980s. They were collecting, if $100 a week was collected there, it was a lot. There were, you know, two dozen people. It turned in by now, by, you know, 2020s, it's got Hundreds and hundreds, thousands of people, lots of money poured in. They renovated the whole church, but it's all got to go because it's not with the zeitgeist anymore. And that's essentially Gregory reduces the entire city of Washington, D.C. to one mass allowed in the city limits of Washington, D.C. Well, this is how they defy the action of the Holy Ghost in the church. And (laughs) you can bring in two philosophical terms that are handy labels for what we're experiencing. Nominalism and voluntarism. So nominalism says, well, this is an act of authority. Therefore, it is correct and we must obey. So the nominalist says authority speaks for itself. An act of authority must be obeyed because it's an act of authority. And then you have Mm -hmm. voluntarism. The dominant power is the will, Mm -hmm. not not the moral order, which governs the will, but simply the exercise of the will. So we have a nominalist and a voluntarist regime in the Vatican. We have a dictator pope 
and his will must be obeyed under these principles. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a veritable dictatorship in the church, an abuse of authority. And I would say to these bishops, what they have a moral duty to do is simply not to obey. They don't have to be defiant about it. They just basically ignore the command. They do what the Italians did in the Hitler regime. In the Hitler years, he would give a command to the Italians, and they would say, oh, yes, we'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow. And it was always tomorrow. Manana, manana. Domani, domani, and it never happened. Right, right. So they, they, did, they did the rope-a-dope. So yep. the bishop should be doing the rope-a-dope with this pope. Uh, giving yes. the appearance of, you know, carefully considering his command and, and just not obeying it. Now, we have to see how far this is going to go. Is there really a plan in every single diocese to extirpate the Latin Mass? I think we'll know in the next few months. Well, and, you know, they may be voluntarists, you know, just uh, party men who follow the, the Fuhrer wherever he goes. But the sick, he has a sycophant in Chicago, Cardinal Blaise Supich, who trips over himself trying to be more Francis-like than Francis. And he apparently is taking aim, the first major aim, at an Ecclesia, so-called Ecclesia Dei community. We did see last year, even before Traditionis Custodes, a bishop in France kicked the Fraternity of St. Peter out of a diocese they'd been for, for decades. But here, this takes it to a new level, because he is alleged to have told the Institute of Christ the King they will have no more faculties in his diocese August 1st, not just at a church, but at the national shrine and at their provincial headquarters. So not just a church that they're taking care of, but the headquarters for you know this whole part of the world, the United States, just here today, Sunday, gone tomorrow, Monday. Again, as reliable sources report, this will happen next week. Oh, well, all you can do is brace for impact to see what happens. Although it looks like the fraternity seems to have gotten an exemption yeah. from this. Well, that's what I thought. Maybe they ought to just fly to Rome and ask for a scribbled note from Francis. <laughs> Remember what I what I said in one of the earlier broadcasts. Yes. The best way to get protection for your liturgy and your priestly standing is to join the Catholic Patriotic Association of Red China. <laughs> then the Vatican and the Vatican will recognize you. <laughs> yeah, they could do it. Maybe they ought to fly to China, get to join them, and then they'll be maybe made a bishop actually. <laughs> Well, I, that remains to be seen. I, but I, 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 it seems to me logical to, to yeah. assume that the plan is to basically do a uh, search and destroy mission diocese by diocese. Yes. With hope, with at least the fraternity being exempted, which is interesting, by the way, because it shows the mentality of the Pope that we have to deal with. Apparently, he's the kind of guy that if you schmooze him in person, you can get something. Yes, because he's a politician. So he'll tell you what you want to hear if you're having right. a meeting with him and he'll give you what you want to make you happy. So yes. they left the room with the promise and they did actually get it a, of a written decree saying that they can continue to use the liturgical books for all of their functions, not just the mass. Right. And uh, so apparently they're going to be unscathed by this. But we'll see. We'll see. That may be revoked, too. No, and that's, again, part of the problem. That's great that they got it, but it's only as good as the next day if he changes his mind. Right? What about the Pius X Society? They have uh, faculties to celebrate wedding masses and hear confessions. Yeah, I, uh, and again, he, he seems to be just ignoring them, not not interested. And again, there's a lot of theories about it. There's the corral theory. He wants to push everybody over there and then go after them. So who knows? I, I just think – in many ways, trying to, to figure out what his plan is, is is somewhat 
pointless because I think although he does have a plan, he is so influenced by emotion, it could change uh, very easily mid-course. Well, they're still in this strange status of the semi-demi-hemi-quaver suspension. Right. It's suspended for some purposes, but not for others. So when they hear a confession, they're not suspended because they have faculties. But when, right. when the priest comes out of the confessional booth to say the mass, he's suspended again. You can't go to right. right. That's how ridiculous this is. Uh, again, you know, it's denominated a law. So if you call it a law, then right. it, it must be obeyed. Right. It doesn't matter what the content is. And yeah. the voluntarist pope, his will, uh, you know, so let it be written, so let it be done. Well, and that's the whole, to, to bring these themes together, the whole problem with voluntarism, because St. Thomas defines law as an ordinance of reason, that the fundamental aspect of the definition of law is it is rational, it is reasonable. But if law is only an act of the will, the will, when not governed by reason, can be contradictory, can, you know, have absurdities, as you said, you're suspended outside the confessional, but not if you're performing a wedding or if you're in a confessional. I mean, that's absurd. That can't be a law in the proper sense because it is completely contrary to reason. But yeah, and this, from middle, the Pope, this from the Pope is constantly railing against the pettifoggers and the doctors of the law. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and rigidity, by the way. You know, if, if I saw him, I, I would say if I had the opportunity to speak to him, I would be hard-pressed not to say something like, uh, non c'è nessuno più rigido di lei. There's nobody more rigid than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there you have it. Uh, this week, our look at the state and situation with the uh, attempt to codify Ogilvefeld in some way in federal law, and then these further diocese by diocese, seek and destroy drone attacks on the traditional mass. So thank you for your, your insight today, Chris, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in another couple weeks just to assess the situation in church and state. Looking forward to it. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the Catholic faith and the message of Fatima, and to support this vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. Our Lady of the Rosary, Ora Pronobis.